Well, good morning, and it's good to be here with you at Graceland. And um, I, the choir wasn't there for that last song, but I, I, I just made the quick recognition. It was pretty cool because you had, um, you had a high schooler on the drums. Oh, let me just make an observation. You had a high schooler on the drums. Um, you had somebody that was not in high school on the bass. I'm not going to call them out, all right? And then you had a high schooler to a senior adult in the choir. Then you had somebody on electric guitar who was not in high school, all right? And then you had a piano player, and then you had a high schooler on keyboard. You had ranges from probably 14 all the way maybe into their 70s. And that is the definition of a multi-generational church. Isn't that great? I love that. I absolutely love that. Well, we're thankful for a church like Graceland. And there are more people gathering around the gospel at Graceland. Uh, there are more people growing in the gospel, which is the way we say they're to being discipled. And because they're being discipled, they're going because of the gospel. And we're thankful for that. But make no mistake about it. We're a healthy church, but we're not a perfect church. How many of you, show of hands, have made a mistake in your life? And that, that includes myself as well. And I think that even organizations like uh, Graceland, which is a church, has made mistakes, but also even uh, organizations like Chevrolet have made mistakes. They invented a car called the Nova. Did anyone ever own a Nova before? Yeah, you regret it. You know that they actually wanted to market the car in South America, but they ran into a snag because Nova in Spanish translates to no-go, <laughs> which is prophetic, I think. And then there was this American t-shirt maker in Miami, and they were preparing to see the Pope come to Miami. They were real excited about it, so they wanted to get the word out. So they made these t-shirts, and they wanted the t-shirts to say, I saw the Pope. But translated in Spanish, it turned out to be, I saw the potato. And that didn't go so well either. But then Pepsi, Pepsi made a huge mistake. They had this big campaign. They're going to say, you know what, we, we want this campaign to talk about, we're going to say, we want, we want the, uh, the campaign to be called Come Alive with the Pepsi Gen Oration. They're all excited about it, and they launch it in China. And in Chinese, it translated to say, Pepsi brings your ancestors back from the grave. And all of the son-in-law said, no! No, no, we're okay with that. <laughs> we're just fine. See, we've all made mistakes, haven't we? We've all made mistakes. Maybe you look in the mirror and you look at your face and you compare your face to maybe someone else's and you go, boy, I just look like a mistake. Or maybe you look at your bank account and you compare your bank account to somebody else's bank account and you go, wow, I feel like a mistake. Or you look at your car, or you look at your house, or you look at your kids, and you go, man, I feel like a mistake. Or you look at your career track, or you look at whatever, and you go, man, I just don't feel like I know what's going on. Or, or maybe you've been hurt by someone else's decisions, and you go, man, I just can't seem to get a break. And because I can't get a break, I must be a mistake. Or maybe you've felt overcome by anxiety, or overcome by fear in your life. And you go, you know what? I'm, I'm scared of the past. I'm scared of making decisions or whatever the case is because you know what? I've made so many mistakes in my past. You just feel like a mistake. Just recently, it made headline news. There was a woman, actually a girlfriend, 
who texted her boyfriend something horribly. And because of what she texted her boyfriend, she actually, it was a murder case and how she had told him, you know, you're no good, you're a mistake, you might as well die. And what happened was, is that he ended up committing suicide and she was sentenced to, for murder. And it's just grievous, but for messages to go out all the time saying words like, you're a mistake and, and you don't compare and, and all of those things. You see, when we look in the mirror and we think to ourselves, we're a mistake, here's what God sees. That God sees and says to you that you, my friend, can be and are a movement multiplier. Now, I want to go into that a little bit today, and that's really what I want to kind of couch on, that you and I, we are not mistakes, but we're movement multipliers. In fact, God sees you. And Jesus, he looked out in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, all of the followers, the ragtag bunch that they were, and he said, you're not mistakes. You are movement multiplier. And he said, you're going to multiply the movement of me, not only in Jerusalem, but in Samaria and Judea, to the ends of the earth, he would say. You know, we can define a movement multiplier, somebody who takes the mission of the movement and carries it forward. And Jesus, he was exactly right about that. There's a book out, and it, Malcolm Gladwell wrote the book, and, and it's called The Tipping Point. And what he does is he studies movements that were started small as just little epidemics, and they grew to become movements that affected an entire region or even the entire world. And he studied one particular thing, and that was in the 90s when the New York, New York City stopped its crime rate and it drastically reduced itself. Another thing he studied was when hush puppies came into uh, become a great uh, uh, rave. And in both cases, Ma Malcolm Gladwell cites that he, there was a few laws that created not only an epidemic, but, but a movement. And he contributed it to these movement multipliers who took something that was localized and spread it through a full scale to a full scale movement. And then we look at Christianity that just started in a small little city called Jerusalem. And the followers of Jesus would spread it to all of the known empire, Roman Empire, to the whole entire world. And so as we look today in our series Rise Up through the book of Acts, we're going to look at traits of a movement multiplier and what that has to do for our very lives. So if you want to turn to Acts chapter 10, that's where we're going to be. If you want to turn to your Bible, your smartphone, your tablet, or the Bible that's right in front of you in your seat, you can turn to Acts chapter 10, verses 1. And we're going to be going through Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter 11. So let me start out in Acts chapter 10. Let me read that, and you can read along. Acts chapter 10, verse 1. At Caesarea... There was a man named Cornelius, a centurion. A centurion was somebody who oversaw 100 people. He continues, the centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and, his, he and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave regularly to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, okay, so it's three o'clock for him. It's a specific day. And the reason why he's praying is because at 3 p.m. the Jews would always pray because that's when uh, the prayers would go out in the temple. So he's, he's a very religious person. One day at three in the afternoon during his prayer time, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius! Cornelius stared at him in fear. I, I would too if an angel came to me. And he said, well, what is it, Lord? He asked. 
The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened, and he sent them to Joppa. Here's the first trait we learn about movement multipliers, and that is this, that movement multipliers are hungry to follow. If you want to write that down, write it down here. Movement multipliers, they're hungry to follow. The scripture would call Cornelius a devout and God-fearing man. He was a man that upheld the Judaistic faith, but the only things that he did not participate in was circumcision. I don't blame him, okay? And then number two, he didn't follow dietary restrictions, so the Jews still kept Cornelius at kind of arm's length, but he was a religious man. And when Scripture said that the, the angel said, hey, I want you to go to this guy named Peter who's staying at, a, at an animal skin uh, tanner, I, he sends two guys. He acts immediately. And the reason why I believe he does that, and he's a hungry follower, is because he's a soldier. And they didn't salute back then. They went like that. And you can just see Cornelius as a centurion like that and following orders. Movement multipliers, friends, they are hungry followers. A few years ago, there was this YouTube viral sensation. And maybe you've seen this video, maybe not. I'm not going to show you the video. It's kind of long. But it, it involves this guy. I think we have a picture of it. And he's basically in black shorts and no shirt. And he's at this music festival. And I don't know if he's sober or not. Okay, we're just going to leave that um, up to you to decide. But he starts dancing this weird—and I'm not going to dance either, okay? Um, he starts doing this crazy dance. It, no one's ever seen this dance before. And anybody by themselves doing something kind of absurd, he's just, just leave them as a lone nut, right? Just he's all by himself. But what he does next is unbelievable that he starts attracting followers. And he gets his first follower, as you'll see in this picture. And they both start doing this absurd dance together. Well, what happens next is a whole crowd happens and a movement begins. And the reason why the movement happens is not because of the originator of the movement. It's because of the followers, the second, the third, the fourth, the fifth. See, leadership, my friends, is overrated. Following is underrated. And movement multipliers are hungry to follow. Movement multipliers are hungry to exponentially carry out the movement that has been set before them. I was at the Y just a few, just a few days ago. I walk in with my family and my, you know, we, we put the, the kids in, in, in child watch and my wife goes to work out on the elliptical machine and I go to work out on the free weight area. And so I kind of go up to the freeway area, and this one guy kind of is walking in as I am, and he, he's got headphones on, earbuds, just like I got earbuds on, and this is my time to just, you know, just work out and, and also just kind of get rid of some stress. And so I sit down at the freeway, uh, free, 
the, the flat bench and I start to bench press and I, he's only just a few feet away and he's sitting right next to me on another flat bench, but he's just texting on his phone. The only thing he's working out is are, are his thumbs, okay? And I'm working out and I go to another machine and I'm doing quick exercises, one to the next, one to the next, and he hasn't moved. He has not worked out one muscle. He hasn't done anything but just text. I leave 45 minutes later, he's still sitting there texting. And I thought, huh, that's exactly what we do in church so often, isn't it? We come in, we expect someone to make us feel bad about ourselves. We get up and we leave and nothing changes. We come in just to feel like we worked out. We come in just to get the sense of kind of what's going on. But do we really do anything about it? Man, so often I, I come in, I experience the body of beliefs. I gather around the gospel. Do it, does my life really change? Maybe not. And that's exactly what God spoke to me in that moment. He said, look, look, it, you just didn't come to the why just to sit there. You, you and by the way, I've been there. Okay, I've been that guy. All right, but you don't just come to do that. You come to learn, to grow, and then to be sent out. You see, we come together to gather and then we leave to scatter. And movement multipliers, they are eager, hungry followers. The brother of Jesus, James, he would write this document. And it's, and, it, and it's actually a part of our New Testament. In James chapter 2, verse 14, James would say this. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say of you have faith, but you don't show it by your actions? This is not good enough to text. It's, it, you got to pick the bar up. You got to start pushing the way. You got to start following. Uh, just rec this last year, my wife and I, very, 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 we were nervous. We went into our first ever parent teacher conference. It was a big step for us. We were so nervous. Because here's why you're nervous as a parent because you don't want to be told that everything you've been doing is a failure and your child is, you know, just the worst person in the class. You don't want to be told that, and you're scared that is, that's going to happen. Not that we didn't have confidence in her. I don't want you to get that opinion of it, her, but we just were scared, okay? And so we walk in, and I'm nervous, and, and Sarah's nervous, and we sit down, and the teacher quickly just begins to encourage us about our daughter, and she starts saying wonderful things, and, I, and, and, and I'm just thinking, wow, I'm so thankful that she's so much like Sarah, you know? <laughs> I'm thinking all those things. And then at the end of the conversation, I asked the one question I wanted to ask, and that was, is she a, a leader? And, and the teacher was like, well, yes, yeah, she, she definitely is a leader. And then she said this, but you know what? I, ask, I have parents ask me that all the time, but I'm still waiting for the time for one of the parents to say, is my child a follower? And right then and there, I thought, yeah, that's right. The, the movement multipliers, it's not about leading because we know the movement that we've been called to multiply, right? It's about being a follower. Psalm 42, 1 through 2 says, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. That, that movement multipliers are hungry for this God. So my question is, who's going to be the second? Who's going to be the third? Who's going to be the fourth? Who's going to be the fifth Cornelius? I'll be one of them. Because Jesus is the leader of this church. And I want to be a movement multiplier. How about you? Next, we look at verse 9, and there's a scene change, okay? So if you can picture in your mind, as we look at the action of the apostles, as the, as the book of Acts has been called, we look at verse 9. It says, About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up to the roof to pray. 
He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. Now let's just stop right there. And the second trait of a movement multiplier is this, that movement multipliers are imperfect people. So Cornelius' men are on the way. Peter goes up, take a nap. He has a nap and he sees this unbelievable vision from God. But before we get to the vision, I want just to look at the person that was given the vision, and that's Peter. If there's anybody that should be disqualified from being a movement multiplier, it's this man. After all, he was inconsistent. He was wishy-washy. He was unreliable. He was a hothead. Okay, this is Peter. But the, the reality is that every movement multiplier in history has a past. Oscar Wilde once said this, that every saint has a past and every sinner has a future. And the Apostle Paul reminds us in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, the new things have come. There's restoration in Jesus Christ. There's redemption that the past can be separated and he can transform your life inside out, continually doing the work. But let me tell you, I can relate to Peter. I mean, the, the, I relate to Peter in so many ways, okay? Uh, not too long ago, uh, um, I was cleaning out one of our vehicles. We have two cars. We have a car and a minivan. I'm not going to lie. I love my minivan, okay? I'm a comfortable, secure enough man, okay, to admit <laughs> that I think my van's pretty sweet. And you know what? If you, you want to take me, we'll go out to the parking lot. We'll race. My van against you, Okay. <laughs> So I'm, I, I go into our minivan one day, and it, is, it looks like that somebody had shaken a can of peanut butter and it had just gone everywhere. So I said, I'm going to clean this van. So I, I, I scrub it, I wash it, I armor all, all the upholstery, I wash the outside, it's looking really good, all the mats have been cleaned, and we go somewhere that evening, and we get back from going there that evening, and one of the girls had snuck popcorn into the van, and then had seemingly just gone like this with it everywhere. And I'd, I had a few imperfect moments, okay, that followed a after that. But the reason why I tell you that is that there is a certain humility to a clay pot that Ray Green is. The, there's a humility about a clay pot, and here's why there's humility about a clay pot. Because a clay pot has a specific purpose. It houses a plant, and the plant is supposed to grow and become beautiful and become worthwhile and good, right? But a, but a clay pot is also known for a few things. First of all, no clay pot is perfect. Uh, every clay pot has cracks, has issues, it, it struggles in many ways to be completely uniform. In fact, no clay pot is the same. But even though the case, they do a wonderful job. And in Scripture, the Bible says that he is the potter and we are the what? The clay. And aren't you glad that God uses cracked pots, imperfect people, to multiply his mission like he does? Movement multipliers are imperfect people. We make mistakes. And so here's the thing. When God, when you look in the mirror, what I want you to think about that he created you on purpose for a purpose. And it's not just enough for me to say this this morning. It's enough for you to believe that. So do you believe it this morning? That you were created on purpose for a purpose. Well, now the table's set. 
We've gone through verses 1 all the way through uh, verse 11 or 10. And as we get to verse 11, we have two different scenes going on. We've got the centurion who is there in Israel, and nobody wants him there, but he's over a hundred men. He's a powerful man, but he loves—he's a religious man, and he wants to pursue God. And then you have the apostle who's at this house, and the men are coming to the house, and Peter begins to have this vision. Look at it with me in verse 11. It says, he saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Oh, surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. We hate change, don't we? <laughs> Peter doesn't like change either. And then it continues, the voice spoke to him a second time, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. And this happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. So Peter's staying at this house in Joppa, the home of a tanner, the guy that works on animal skins. So Peter is in the right state of mind for change, and we also know that he begins to see this vision, and what the vision is is this flying sheet, which is altogether weird, but what's on the sheet is unclean and clean food, a dietary mixture that would have made any ceremonially clean Jew repulsed. This was, this flied in the face of all of their 2,000 years of culture. And then in verse 17, while Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the man sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was, and he stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit of God said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I am the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, We have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is righteous and God-fearing man, who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. You see, we have the setting, the table is set, things are in place for us to understand the third trait of a movement multiplier, and that is that movement multipliers let go of prejudice. They let go of prejudice, and you see it right here. See, no self-respecting Jew would ever go into a Gentile home. You know what they called the Gentiles back then? They called them dogs. That's how bad they thought of the Gentiles. No self-respecting Jew would go to a Gentile's, or Jew would go to a Gentile's house, let alone have them one over but he has one over. And it wasn't because God had instituted this racial hatred. It was because the religious system had created prejudice and racial discrimination at its very core here. But God says and makes a very clear distinction. Look at it with me in verse 20. He says, so get up and go downstairs, he tells Peter. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Here's what I want to look at. There's a phrase that, that, that is, do not hesitate. And the phrase, do not hesitate, could literally be translated, make no distinction. 
And the reason why that is important is, is that he's, God is telling Peter, there's no distinction between a Jew and a Gentile. There's no distinction between clean and unclean. There's no distinction between you, Peter, and this man at all. You are no longer separate. You are on equal playing grounds. Have you ever noticed something that when you're driving... All the people that are going slower than you are jerks. And all the people going faster than you are maniacs. Have you ever thought about that for a second? And here's why we, we think that. Because we are fallen people. And as fallen people, we automatically think that anybody that's not like us, that don't dress like us, that don't hold the same values, don't drive like us, don't teach like us, don't, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, we think are less than equal to us. What God is telling Peter is the walls of prejudice have to come tumbling down. And movement multipliers, even though it may be difficult, let go of all prejudice. And I'll tell you what, there has never been a greater message than this in our culture today, folks. Because you know why? The gospel is for everyone. Every single man, woman, and child. Just a few weeks ago, I was in Singapore, the city. I was on the way back from visiting our missionaries in Indonesia. And there's a picture of me and my friend Steve who were on the trip together. And we stopped at Singapore on the way back, and we walked this boardwalk and looked at the port of Singapore, beautiful area. And we stopped at this amphitheater, and we're sitting there, and we're exhausted, and we're taking it all in. And it's this incredible scene. And all of a sudden, the, 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 the um, orchestra there started playing the song. And after a, a, a week of not hearing your own language, after a week of not uh, eating the same kind of food, you just want some familiarity. And all of a sudden, I just got really, really homesick when I started hearing the old hymn, How Great Thou Art, in Singapore. They're playing it. And I look over at Steve, and I start to weep. And, I, and, and God started to spoke, spoke into my heart. And he said, you know what, Ray? Here's the deal. When Peter broke down the walls of prejudice, my gospel began to spread not only in Jerusalem, but then it spread all over the world, even into Singapore, where my church began to be formed and the gospel began to change lives. And they sang the how great thou art in that country, just like you sing it in your country, because the gospel is for everyone. And that means this, the gospel is for Republicans. The gospel is for Democrats. The gospel is for Tea Party members. The gospel is for no party members. The gospel is for black, white, purple, brown, every colored skin. The gospel is for young and old alike. The walls of prejudice have to come tumbling down if we're going to multiply the movement of Jesus Christ. And you know what Peter does? When Cornelius finally shows up, you have this man who's a very religious person. I mean, if he would have been in our culture today, he would have been going to church every single solitary week. But he doesn't know Christ. So Peter has this discussion. And in verse 39 of chapter 10, he tells Cornelius, Hey, look, Cornelius, they killed him, meaning Jesus. They killed Jesus by hanging him on a cross. But God raised him from the dead on the third day, and he caused him to be seen. The teachings of Jesus are real, Cornelius. Why? Because Jesus Christ has been risen from the dead. And, and, and as we go on to read, Cornelius believed it, and not only him, but his whole entire family. And they all went public, and they all were baptized. 
That the gospel plus believe equaled this unbelievable, joyful encounter right there. And the movement was multiplied into that house. And this became the very crux and pivot point of the entire movement of Jesus because this is the first Gentile believer in the history of the world, friends. And when this happened, it spread. And then we have a scene change at, at the end of chapter 10. And chapter 11 is this group of leaders. So picture yourself in a room with a bunch of other movement multiplying leaders. And we come to our fourth trait of a movement multiplier, and that's this. That movement multipliers don't let fear of stepping out lead to missing out. That movement multipliers don't let fear of stepping out lead to missing out. The apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him. Imagine that. People criticizing change. Have you ever encountered that? The the circumcised believers criticized him and said, you went into the house of an uncircumcised man and you ate with him? What were you thinking? And this is starting from the beginning. Peter told them the whole story. Can you just tell, you can just hear it. Oh, guys, you'll, you'll never guess what. I went into this tanner's house. I know you think I'm crazy. But then there were these men that came and I had this vision. And then this guy, this, this centurion came and God told me he was going to be there. And then his whole family believed in Jesus and they were baptized. It was unbelievable. You should have been there. It was crazy. You know, uh, you know, John, you should have been there. Man, you should have been there. And he starts pointing around to the other disciples and the other people in the room. And they call this the Jerusalem Council because this was an important moment for really the 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 entire movement of the of the early church he says you should have been there and then he says something incredible he says who was i to think that i could stand in god's way who was i i just needed to follow i just needed to multiply the movement who was i to be an obstruction to what god wanted to do and they hear this and scripture says that when they heard this they had no further objections and you know what happened joy they begin to praise god and they said man even the gentiles are granted repentance that leads to life incredible but peter had to say look look who was i to stand in god's way you see if if you're not going to let fear stepping out. If you're going to be a movement multiplier, you're not going to let fear of stepping out lead you to missing out. And that's going to involve you understanding that your life is not a cul-de-sac, it's a conduit. It's easy to live in the cul-de-sac of God's blessing, to put your basketball hoop up and just to not, you don't want any traffic and you just want you and your kids and and your two neighbors that you know really well to be there. But what God wants you to do is erase the cul-de-sac and create a conduit to where you can bless the world. And that's exactly what Peter says. Who am I to stand in God's way? I want to be a conduit here, but it's so easy to be a cul-de-sac. And here's what you do. Just just add a little play it safe. Add a little, oh, we're just going to keep the sacred cows fat and happy in the pasture. Add a little, I'm just going to be still stingy, add a little bit, I'm too busy, add a couple other things, and voila, you have a conduit, and you have a church that could be declining. Peter says, no, 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 far be it from me to stand in God's way. Is that a scary, fearful moment? Yeah, but that's why God's word in Psalm 56, 3 says, when I'm afraid, I put my trust in you, right? Isaiah 40, 110 says, so do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I'm your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And thus we see the movement of God. 
and the church multiply. I want you to watch something with me. And I want you to watch how this is a ripple effect that takes us up into this moment. Watch this video. In Jerusalem, A.D. 30, Jesus died on the cross, resurrected on the third day, and then ascended into heaven. Fifty days after Jesus' resurrection, the Holy Spirit fell on the apostles, giving them power, purpose, and a plan. And out of joy, the church was born. Empowered by the Spirit, Peter gave his first sermon, and 3,000 hearts were transformed. Hearing, receiving, and repenting, the young church walked in unity and garnered praise. Peter and John then continued to spread the gospel through preaching and miracles, and the church grew by 5,000. In AD 31, Stephen gave a powerful sermon, and the enraged crowd stoned him, making him the first Christian martyr. Around AD 34, on the road to Damascus, the Lord transformed the heart of Saul, a man who persecuted countless Christians, and Saul became Paul. In AD 44, King Herod Agrippa I executed the Apostle James and had Peter arrested. But an angel rescued Peter, leading him out of the prison. As the believers were scattered because of persecution, the center of operations for Christianity turned from Jerusalem to Antioch where Paul and Barnabas were sent out on their first missionary journey. On his final missionary journey, Paul traveled through Galatia, Phrygia, and Ephesus, encouraging the disciples in the cities. He then spent three months in Greece before traveling to Jerusalem, where he was arrested. Paul was then sent to Rome for trial, but the ship wrecked on the island of Malta. When he finally arrived in Rome, he lived there for two years before Nero ordered his beheading. And after 28 chapters, the story of Acts came to an end. Yet the story of the gospel didn't stop there. Out of joy, the church multiplied. In AD 80, Christianity spread further to the countries of France and Tunisia. 20 years later, the first Christians were reported in Algeria and Sri Lanka. By AD 150, the gospel reached Portugal and Morocco, Christianity found its way to Austria in AD 174, followed by Switzerland and Belgium. In AD 328, the gospel reached Ethiopia. Almost 200 years later, Pope Gregory I sent Augustine of Canterbury and a team of missionaries to present-day England. And within the first year, they baptized 10,000 people. In AD 635, the first Christian missionaries arrived in China. In AD 740, Irish monks brought the gospel to Iceland. But it wasn't until AD 900 that missionaries reached the country of Norway. Out of joy, the church multiplied. By 1200, the Bible was available in 22 languages. In 1491, missionaries arrived in the African Congo with the first church located in Angola. A few years later, Kenya reported its first known Christians. Meanwhile, in Spain, Pope Alexander VI wanted to send Catholic missions to the New World. As a result, Christopher Columbus took priests with him on his second journey to the Americas. In 1531, Franciscan Juan de Padilla started his mission work in Mexico City. By 1550, John Calvin sent French Protestants to reach the people of Brazil. 
1640, Jesuit missionaries finally reached the Caribbean, landing on the island of Martinique. Out of joy, the church multiplied. The early 1700s saw the rise of the Great Awakening in America, where both George Whitfield and Jonathan Edwards stirred revival throughout the colonies. As bearers of the good news, God calls each of us into the story and mission. Sometimes it is hard. Sometimes we must leave friends and family behind. Sometimes we must give up our comfort. But whether we go, whether we stay, whether we pray or offer support, we are all wrapped up in this joyful call to take what started in Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. We are part of the next chapter in the story. What role will you play? Out of joy, the church multiplies.